Do you love Covenant Reformed Church? When you study the book of Acts, you find that these Christians, these early Christians, really loved their church. And when you study church history, the same picture emerges. Christians love the church. Now that love is beginning to fizzle. Many seeking a more immediate encounter with God to experience God, an instant experience, a radical experience, an independent and emotional experience. Many have began leaving the church, seeing the church as an obstacle, the church with those ordinary means of grace. We need the extraordinary. And in America, that began to happen at the first great awakening. There was an awakening, an awakening of emotional fervency. Many began leaving the church. For example, Ralph Waldo Emerson, the great transcendental poet, denied his own ordination because he began to, leave, began to believe that you cannot experience Christ in the Eucharist. In the Holy Supper, there was no communion with God, so he turned away from the church by turning within himself. The church is too base, too common, too real. We wanted radical, instant, independent, and emotional. And today, the church, recognizing that, has to turn to other, other means. Turning away from the ordinary, the church has turned to the radical performance. Turning the lights down in the sanctuary. That you might still have that ind independency even in the crowd. You can turn within. Even in the crowd, get lost in the darkness of it all. While the praise band strikes that emotional chord you need to experience God. We need to learn to be the church again. We need to become Christian again. We need the book of Acts. And that's why we're studying the book of Acts. Let us jump right in. Acts chapter 2, beginning verse 43. <clears throat> and all came upon every soul. Paul, or excuse me, Luke records that all came upon every soul in the church. Now this all here is reverential fear. There was this reverence for God. It's the fear of God that we see here. It's the fear of God that strikes the very soul. It's that fear that sparks wisdom, right? Proverbs tells us 1 verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And this is not worldly knowledge, right? This is knowledge of the age to come. This is a knowledge that forsakes this dying world, that forsakes this dying world and its purposes and its pleasures for the age to come and the knowledge of God's word and the truth therein. It is a knowledge of another world. The age to come that breaks into this day, it creates a holy space. That a holy people at a holy hour might worship God. 
You see, the word of God breaks into our world. There's an inbreaking of the holy and of the divine into this world. And it's the word that breaks into the world today. The world breaks into this world that we might see that God is at work among us. God is at work right here, right now. And we should be at all with this God. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. In Acts, we see here that God was at work through these men. Wonders and signs being done through the apostles. The church has called this the Acts of the apostles because God was working through these men. It emphasizes the men working, but you know me. <clears throat> I like the Acts of Christ's continuing ministry. This book is the Acts of Christ's continuing ministry because it is God who's at work. Christ working, his spirit working through men. Christ uses means, means of the apostles in our text that we might hear, means of the apostles that we might see and come of all before our God. Mediation is the biblical way. The fear here... <laughs> The fear we see here does not come, come about because men experience marvelous deeds. It's the fear of God. It's the same fear the disciples had. Go back to the Gospels, disciples in the boat with Jesus, fishermen, people who are not afraid of waves and water, used to trouble out at, out at sea. But a fierce storm came so heavy upon them that these seamen got afraid. They were afraid of this tumultuous, uh, ravaging storm. In the text, I love the text, talks about, shows their fear. But then Jesus gets up and he quiets the storm. He silenced the sea. And then the text said, then the men were terribly afraid. They were afraid. And said, who then is this? The holy was among them. God was working and it struck fear into their hearts. They were afraid because the word has dwelt among us. And we have seen the glory of the only begotten son from the father. They were afraid of the hypostatic union. The God man. God uses means. How do we know God? The hypostatic union. The God man. How do we know God? Jesus shows us we need mediation. Now, when I say we have to get back to Acts, when I say we need to get back to Acts, many people hear, oh, we need to get back to the signs and wonders. We need to get back to having apostles. So many denominations, the largest denomination in the world, and many following it, have apostles. Have these supermen, the ubermensch. Thank you, Nietzsche. <laughs> it's not Bible. It's the Enlightenment. But we have these ubermits, these supermen, these apostles, or we have to have Pentecostalism, charismania. But the question is never asked, are we to repeat these signs? Are we to repeat the signs and wonders? Or do we believe in them? Are we to believe in them as history? Or are we to do them? 
Acts 2.44, and all who believed, it was believers believing and seeing. They weren't excited by the signs and wonders, but by God who was work among them. And they believed and they were together and had all things in common. All who believed, these men, these apostles gave the church the word of God. It's the word of God. Paul writes in Ephesians 2.20 that our, our salvation is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. These men with signs and wonders gave us, have given us the word. We are not to repeat the signs and wonders any more than we are to repeat the cross. We're to believe. It's the birth of the church. You see, in the beginning of Acts, later on in Acts, you're going to see it become more ordinary. But very, at the very beginning of, of Acts, you have a new age. The new age is breaking into this world. And the new age is coming in with a bang. With signs and wonders. But when you read Acts, you, be, you, you begin to see that the emphasis is not the signs and the wonders. They're there, but the emphasis is the word of God. It's the word of God. The word of God that prevails against darkness, not signs and wonders. The word of God. And as the church grows, it's always attributed to the word of God. Listen to Acts 6-7. And the word of God continued to increase. And a number of the disciples multitude greatly in Jerusalem. Verse Acts 12, 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Acts 19, 20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. The word prevails. And so Paul adds that Christ in his ascension, when Christ ascended into heaven, he distributed gifts. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers that through their ministry the saints might be built up into the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and knowledge so that we're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. It is interesting that those who emphasize the necessity of the ministry of the gospel are confessional they all with heart and mind believe and confess the same thing. Those Christian traditions that emphasize the signs and the wonders and the apostles, they're divided by every wind of doctrine. There's a, there's a reason why the Reformed are all united together. We need to get back to Acts. means we need to get back to the Bible. We need to get back to a unity of heart and mind. One voice, the Bible says. We give praise with one voice, with one heart, with one mind. We need to get back to Acts. It means we need to get back to the means of grace. It means we need to get back to loving the church. It's her Bible. It's our Bible. We love the church. It's our lifeline. We love the church because we love to be together. Not only in truth and worship and mind, but we love to genuinely be together. Listen to Acts 2.44. And all who believed, the believers were all together. The church was together. They had all things common. This is what we should repeat. We should repeat this togetherness. What should we repeat? All things in common. Is this common com communism? Verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as had as any had need. 
Is this communism? Is the church to separate from the world into little compounds in a form of communalism? One thing you note in this text that what they did, and this comes up again in Acts 4, the giving was voluntary. Nobody's commanding them to give. It's voluntarily. They voluntarily gave. And it's as occasional. It's occasional as the occasion met. As any had need. That's the occasion. As some had need, they gave. <coughs> Excuse me. Their needs were related to the physical and social environment in which they found themselves. We also know in Acts that believers continue to maintain their own homes. We hear in Acts about them meeting in their own homes. Meeting at homes. In the Gospels, the disciples still had boats. Jesus was still getting into boats and going places. They used these boats. They used their homes. They used their resources to benefit the church. If anything, this text supports private ownership. Because listen, if you don't own something, how can you give anything away? If we were to give everything away, then how can we meet any needs of any others? You know, the Middle Ages, the Middle Ages gave the church nuns and monks. Nuns and monks were seen as holier than thou because nuns and monks forsook the world. They gave all their things away. They owned nothing and they were holier than thou until the Reformation came. And the Reformation reminded these super people, how can you follow the apostles' examples if you don't have anything? It's a false piety to think that we need to separate from the world and go live in a compound out in the wilderness. How can we be, in, how can we be salt and light in the world if we're not in the world? And so the reformers pulled Christians out of the monastery and said, you have a divine calling. And that divine calling, and many historians said, this is the doctrine that really blew up the Reformation. Us theologians would love to say it was the doctrine of justification that really spread the Protestant movement. But historians say, no, it's this doctrine. It's the doctrine of vocation. Because Christians began to hear in the Reformed Church that your job as a plumber, secretary, teacher, financial consultant, engineer, mother, father, retired, whatever it may be, that is a divine calling of the Lord. That is God's calling for you to work hard, to work hard and make money. Make good money. Well, that's so worldly, Pastor, make good money. There's a doctrine of scarcity. Economics teaches us this doctrine of scarcity. Make as much money as you can. Try to make that money make you more money. Hoard that money. Hold on to that money. Give it to nobody. You'll get rich. Or, there's another worldly practice. Spend all your money on yourself. Run up debt. Both of those are worldly truths. There's a third way, a better way, a biblical way. Work hard, make money. If you can make that money work for you, even better. Make more money. Make, make money, hold it, but then readily and cheerfully give it. 
The Bible has stuff to say. It says something about money. Money is mediation. Mercy. Mercy needs money. People need food and shelter. It takes money. Missions. People have to go to the ends of the world to spread the gospel. They have to, missionaries have to give their lives, have to forsake vocations that make money so that those who make money in the church can give to spread mercy and missions. As any might have need, and you give it as those who have need. This is what's worth repeating. Jesus talks about giving money. And when Jesus, in the context of giving money, he says this. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. He says that in the context of giving money. He says, sell your possessions and give to the poor and so forth. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. If your treasure's in heaven, your heart will be there and your heart will bring along your wallet <coughs> to give. If you love Christ and his church, your heart will follow in giving and serving readily and cheerfully. That's what our Heidelberg says. That's why I always quote that. Readily and cheerfully for the advantage and welfare of one another. Here's the point, brothers and sisters. We are saved by Christ in an individual way. Each and every one of you saved in an individual way, but not to be individuals. When you read the book of Acts, individuals are saved, plucked out of the world, and planted in the church. Put in the church to love and serve and care for the church. There is no faith without the faithful. We all here are Catholic Persons, You're a person, individually your own, but you are a Catholic person. You belong to the universal church that is seen here in the visible body of Christ. We're not our own, brothers. When you become a Christian, you're not your own anymore. You're not to be out there on your own, doing your own thing. You're not your own. You belong to Christ and his church. And when we study Acts, it's the visible local church you must belong. A local church that has believers. A local church that has believers and their children. You've got to help raise up and care for the youth among us. I heard it takes a village. It takes a church to raise a Christian. If you're not here... You're neglecting the little ones. Well, I don't have little ones. I'm a grandparent. No, you have little ones in the church. They're everywhere. I see a bunch of them right now, a bunch of little ones. We all need to gather together to care for these little ones. And the Great Commission is going out to the ends of the earth. We need to be together praying for missions. We need to be together giving towards missions. We love the church because we love being together. We love caring for one another. We love to worship together. Acts 2.46. And day by day, attending the temple together. They were going to worship. We love public worship because it's the means of grace. We love to hear God's word. We love to participate in the sacraments. It's our lifeline. But we also find here that the early church loved Christian hospitality. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They were in their homes together, eating together. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. 
You see, friends, hospitality is the gold standard of Christian living. Christian hospitality. Yes, there is a place for hospitality for your non-believers. That's probably the best form of evangelism, being hospitable to non-believers. But here in this text, this is Christian hospitality. You got to belong to the church to know your brothers and sisters, to have them in your home, to be in their homes. We see here in Acts, the early church shared their lives together in a sincere way. It says with glad and generous hearts. The young church had a disciplined lifestyle, disciplined around the church. That's what's worth repeating. Open your home. Open your hearts to one another. They were worshipers of God. Verse 47, praising God. The early church loved to praise the Lord. Praising God is the purpose of the church, right? I love the shorter catechism, our Presbyterian brothers. What is the chief end of man? Right, there's the Presbyterian among us. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Glorify God. It's, there's nothing more beautiful. That's the best statement. Other than anything written in sacred text, that might be one of the best secular, well, it's not a secular statement, but a non-sacred text. It rivals and competes with Heidelberg one, but they're both good. Glorify God, enjoy him forever. Now, interestingly enough, this religious fervor found them in favor among, among men. The early church had favor, praising God. And it says, in having favor with all people. That's awesome. This early church was worshiping and God was doing mighty things, this inbreaking, mighty signs and wonders and so forth, and the sacraments and the word and the hearing and the fellowship. And they, it brought favor among them. But if we know the book of Acts, that favor will not last and no doubt, I believe at the moment, right here in this moment, as they are starting to find favor among men and doing wonderful things, it, catch, it caught the eye of one young man, young zealot. No doubt there was a young zealot noticing this, Saul of Tarsus. He began to see this attention. And it began to work in him in hatred for the church. And Saul of Tarsus will be the first persecutor of the church. He will kill the first Christian. But the glory of the Lord will turn this man who hated the church into probably the man who loved the church, the greatest love of the church the world has ever seen with Paul. Paul loved worship because he wrote about it a lot. He explains in detail how the church is to worship. Paul loved the ministry of the word. He talks a lot about the ministry of the word, how ministers are to preach the word, how ministers are to interpret the word, and that the word is powerful. For faith comes by what, children? Faith comes by hearing. That's Paul. He loved the word. He thought the word did something powerful. You want signs and wonders? Hear the word. It creates new life. Paul loved the sacraments. He wrote a lot about the sacraments too. And he said that in the sacraments, we have communion with Christ. He talks about the sacraments in such a way that 
When we eat the bread and the wine, we become one with Christ, bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. He loved the ministry of the word. He loved the sacraments, and he loved Christian fellowship. He writes a lot about Christian fellowship. You want to know about Christian fellowship? Go to Paul, usually at the end of each of his epistles. That's his, like, his organizing theme. He always preaches on the guilt and then the grace of God, and then he talks about how we are to love one another. That's how Paul organizes all of his epistles. Go look at them all. They're all organized that way. He loved the one another's. He taught us how to love one another. Paul loved the church. But you want to know why he truly loved the church? All of these are reasons he loved the church. But there is one reason alone that he loved the church so willingly to give his life for her. He loved the church because God loves the church. And it says here in our text that they found favor with all men. And day by day, those who were being, or excuse me, and the Lord, excuse me, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Lord loves his church so much that he sent his only begotten son, his only son, to die for the church. To face the wrath of God, he poured it out on his son that his church might not experience that wrath. Christ loved the church so much, he willingly gave his life. He spilled his blood to wash you clean, that all your sins may be forgiven. The Holy Spirit loves the church so much that he goes out to the ends of the earth to gather the wayward sheep into God's sheepfold. We love, lots of, we love lots of institutions in the world. But there is only one institution that Christ died for. He didn't die for the Republican Party. He didn't die for Christian schools. He didn't die for your favorite publisher or podcast. He died for the church. He gave the most precious thing he had. That's his son's blood, greater than any gold or silver. We need to love the church more than anything in this world. And lastly, we love the church because those being saved are saved by means of the church. Look at the text. How were they being saved? And day by day, those who were being saved, how were they being saved? Well, there's baptism. We just read about it last week. We studied baptism last week. Be baptized for the remission of your sins, for the forgiveness of your sins. But here in this text, specifically, how are those being saved? The Lord added to their number. That's interesting. He didn't say the Lord added to the church, but to their number. There was a definable group there, a visible local church with a definable number. And we read about the numbers over and over again. It will say, and 3,000 were saved that day. Or, I can't remember the other numbers, so I'm bad with numbers. But it's always a number. We are saved by means of church membership. 
A terrible doctrine today in America. American churches don't like that doctrine, but that is the truth of God's word, church membership. You must belong to the church. Cyprian's dictum, ancient church father said, there's no salvation outside of the church. The entire Middle Ages echoed that sentiment, and guess what the Reformation said? Amen. There is no salvation outside of Christ's church, local, visible congregation. That's what we see in Acts. Caring for a local body, local people, knowing them, a definable group, a definable group that should be growing, Lord willingly, every day. It says here they were added to their number, that is, added to the local visible church, those being saved. You identify Christians. In America, we, we've gotten rid of church government for Christian clothing. <laughs> That's how you define, identify Christians now, right? Oh, he's wearing a Christian shirt or rocking the Christian tunes. You know, you got the radio, Christian radio. That's how you know. They're, they're singing out their pipes out. No, it's by their membership of a true local church. You identify Christians, new converts, as those being saved by their local membership. This is the truth of God's word. And so we love covenant reform. And I pray that we will love and learn to love more and more covenant reformed church. That's Acts. It's the care of actual people. Loving and serving one another. Giving and caring for one another. Hearing together the word of God that our faith might be strengthened and built up in the sacraments, encouraged and nourished and refreshed in the Lord's Supper until the Lord takes you home. We're going to live together. Look around. Here's the interesting thing about the church. You don't get to pick who sits beside you. They just become your family. You can't pick your family. Sometimes I wish I could. You can't. you got to love them, whoever they are. You're going to live with them for the rest of their lives. Till the Lord calls you home, where the Lord returns. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. Unite the church militant, the church triumphant. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.